As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello everybody, I'm Danny Kelly and I'm your host for The View from the Lane, the Athletics Tottenham Hotspur podcast. Thank you for listening to us. Uh, on the show today with me are the Athletics' Jack Pitt-Brook and Charlie Eccleshare. I hope we can make this one a little bit less gloomy than the last one, though with the Chelsea fixture coming up on the horizon, I'm not entirely sure that we can. Charlie, before we discuss that uh, oncoming uh, train that is Chelsea this weekend, James Moore, who isn't with us today, has said that he, he's been... Hearing chants being sung around the club's managing director of football, Fabio Paritici. I haven't heard these. Well, what, what's he talking about? So this was something I tweeted on um, Saturday at Selhurst Park when the, um, co- the Spurs coach arrived and the players walked out. And then Don Fabio Paritici mm-hmm. walked out. Uh, and, and yeah, I tweeted they sung his name and it caused a bit of a stir. People sort of speculating as to what that chant might be. Um might be a bit of a letdown. It wasn't any kind of clever wordplay on Paratici. It was just a kind of dull thudding. Fabio, <laughs> Fabio, oh, Fabio. God. And he then, he gave a wink to the fans as he walked in, um, kind of looking very suave as he did so. But yeah, no, nothing more than that, I'm afraid. The landscape of football changes all the time, but I didn't didn't imagine that I would live long enough that people would not only know the owners, the names of the owners of clubs, but also the so-called directors of football. Be, I mean, sorry, Danny, this... managing director, comma football. Mm. <laughs> oh, Corey, sorry, I forgot he had a phony baloney title, and it's amazing that we now know the names of directors of football on the on the European football show that I do on the radio. Um, no conversation is complete unless you know the, the name of the chief scout of Sporting Lisbon. Mm. I mean, gone the uh, days when you, if you knew two foreign players' names, that was acceptable. I, th- I think that's a one. We were talking about this on the Football Clichés podcast in relation to the Fabio mm. chant, and I think that has been one of the biggest shifts. Is in your kind of average fan, the level of knowledge that they have about transfers and how they work and all that sort of thing is is so different to what it was. And I was yep. I was talking to. 
uh, an old colleague of mine who covers Arsenal, and he was remembering similarly to this Paratici thing a couple of years ago when um, Raul Sanyehi was briefly flavour of the month with Arsenal fans. And he said he remembers similarly him getting off the coach and, and being mobbed by the Arsenal fans before a game against Liverpool. And, sim- and you know, was thinking this, what, the world's gone mad. Like, how is it that this guy, this sort of transfer guru who then left because it turned out he wasn't so good, uh, is kind of being heralded like one of the star players? Let's uh, let's talk about um, your article in the in the Athletic this week about Deli Ali, if I may, Charlie. Mm. Ah, I mean, he's desperately struggling. That that sentence that I've got in front of me says he's desperately struggling to create chances and get to goal scoring positions. It could just read he's desperately struggling. So, what's behind, in your opinion? And it's okay if you quote from your article this decline, which I hope isn't terminal in this lad's career. He's in his mid twenties. He can be mm. what he what whatever he wants, really. Mm. No, it is really. Um, it's a really interesting one. We, we you know we've spoken about it many times, and I should say as well, your description of, of Delhi as a running jobs worth in Monday's pod was part of the inspiration for this piece. I mean, uh, but it's true. Yeah, isn't it? I mean, it, it, it yeah, it, it's just a strange one because basically he was saying in the piece that he's been repurposed as this sort of midfield hatchet man who runs around, puts in fouls, and and you know he's got an amazing engine. He's very very fit, so he can do that role, but. He's also proved himself to be an elite goal scorer and creator of goals. I mean, I'd forgotten. We know about his goal scoring was sensational, mm-hmm. but in his first three Premier League seasons, he got nine assists, and eight assists, and ten assists. I mean, that those are staggeringly good numbers. This season, he hasn't created a chance yet at all. His total XG that I quote in the piece is something like 0.18. That excludes the 0.16 actually. Uh, that excludes Ooh. the penalty, obviously, and. It's one of those, how much of this is, you know, how much is he playing that repurposed role because he's not deemed to have the same goal uh, and goal threat and creativity that he once did? Or is he not having that goal threat and creativity because he's being asked to do this um, this this role that you feel there are other people in the squad who could do? Whereas clearly there aren't really people in the squad other than Kane and Son who score. I mean, I looked at this and since the start of last season, own goal with three is uh, the top scorer in the Premier League for Spurs of players outside of Kane and Son. Obviously, Bale has more, but he's gone. So that does kind of tell you, and this is something I know we've spoken about before, how big an issue that lack of a third goal scorer is. And it feels like in Delhi, they have someone who could potentially do that. You know, he's proven himself able to do that again and again and again. But the goals are just, you know, gone from his game. Jack, where do you think the, the the problem lies? I mean, I'll give you some of the some of the athletics readers have had plenty to say about this. I mean, Delhi isn't defending instead of attacking because he's forgotten how to attack, says Ruben A. He's defending because we don't have the ball. Why haven't we got the ball? Uh, Dom B. Kane doesn't want to be anywhere near the box right now. A bit like Rooney in his uh, later years at United. So is he now playing the same uh, spaces you'd expect to see? Delhi. Uh, very quickly, my own Tupney Hackney worth is that. Delhi has always been a fantastic player or was a fantastic player in the last third. And even when he was when we were doing proper pressing at Tottenham, um, he and Christian Eriksen led the band. And he, he often made goals by getting his toe in. But equally often, he committed fouls. That's fine. It fitted. Let's, let's, let's be honest about it. It fitted Pochettino's plan to do tactical fouling. He did it at Southampton. He did it at Spurs. They, they rotated the fouling, stopped teams on a break. The problem with Delhi as this... Uh, enforcer is that he does he does these half tackles and he's giving away free kicks on the edge of the box. He gave away 
four, yeah, five? Yeah, four, four fouls against Palace. Absolutely, and all in difficult positions. Jack, you know, you, you're perhaps looking at from further away than Charlie. Maybe, maybe you have a better view of the trees and the forest. Deli Ali? I think the problem is that he is actually very well suited to the kind of midfield that Nuno seems to want. Nuno wants a midfield based on industry and running and pressing. rather, And he doesn't seem to want a midfield based on creating chance in the middle of the pitch. He doesn't want midfielders who get in the box. So I think that I think Delhi has been really admirable in his adaptation to the demands of Nuno's approach. I just think that that approach is not very interesting, or at least not, not very interesting to watch. I don't think the problem is, as described in one of the comments, that Spurs don't have the ball enough. I just think Delhi is honestly and quite diligently doing what his manager tells him to do, but it, it has only exacerbated the kind of lack of goals that have really marked the last sort of three years of his career. It's interesting because, sorry, Joe M says, and I'll come back to your thoughts, um, Delhi has never been much of a creator. He gets on the end of things, but with no creativity, creativity in the team, if we're going to do this podcast properly, I better learn to pronounce the word creativity correctly. Hmm. It comes up a lot. Uh, there's nothing to get on the end of. Ericsson made him in many ways. Let me ask you a crueler question. And I'll quote from somebody from Tottenham's recent past who I also uh, adore as a player. And that's Jermaine Defoe. The game changed. We went from two up front to one up front. The one up front had to be somebody with physical presence. And the game disappeared over the horizon from Jermaine Defoe. I get it. He's still winning titles at 74 years of age in Scotland, <laughs> but in the Premier League, the game changes. Has the game changed in a way, Jack, that's, that, that it has no use for the Deli Alleys in this world anymore? No, I don't think that's true because I think I think someone like Deli Alley could be very effective for another team that played a press a pressing style. I can actually see him, you know, like, I'm, this is not me trying to sell Deli Alley, no. as I'm often accused of doing, but um, I can see him being effective, for example, at Liverpool, you know, because Liverpool have a very high energy pressing system. And frankly, the Liverpool, like the Liverpool approach isn't that different from the Nuno approach at the moment, which is we're going to have a very kind of jobs worth midfield, mm-hmm. as you put it, and all our creativity is going to come, for example, from the fullbacks. So I don't think Deli Alley is implausible as a modern footballer nowadays. I just think he would could only work in a very specific system. But what I do think, I, well, the one change that I do think has caused a problem for Delhi is the simple fact that Tottenham play much further down. They don't play as high up the pitch as they did four years ago. You know, under Pochettino, he got to play for a team who would defend on the halfway. You know, there were kind of elements of the sort of Guardiola style to how Spurs played four years ago. You know, they would defend, defend on the halfway line. They'd almost always have the ball. They would... You know, push the fullbacks high. They play with width. They'd win the ball back high up the pitch, and so the whole team, you know, they would always be closer to the opposition goal than they are now. And obviously, that started to retreat at the end of Pochettino, and then under Mourinho, they retreated much further. And they still just don't play on the front foot like they used to. And that means that if you're someone like Deli Ali, whose whole game is about you know sniffing out a bounce of the ball here, or just kind of sensing where the ball's going to break, and can I get in that space and and get a header off or whatever. You just you're not getting there so many opportunities because you used to be floating around sort of 15 yards in the opposition goal, and now you're on the halfway line. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I, I also I've been trying to think like who, what sort of precedent is there for kind of because we've seen with Delhi he was he scored lots of goals. Now he hasn't been for a while. 
can you then get that back and you rediscover that? And, and also thinking about which players he plays like now. And I was thinking someone like Jesse Lingard, who obviously in the in the World Cup 2018, wasn't it, that him and Delhi were kind of playing as those three eights in, in what was essentially a 3-5-2. And Lingard obviously last season went on loan at West Ham, scored a bunch of goals. He scored scoring again this season for Manchester United. And I wonder if that's the kind of player that Delhi will become, more, more of a number eight who makes runs from deep rather than someone who plays further forward like he used to, just because it is harder to play as a kind of off-the-striker type player. As you say, Danny, that does feel almost like an anachronism already. These things go in cycle, but I don't think he can wait for the good of his career for second strikers to come back into fashion. Um, not when people like Son and Mo Salah, etc., continuing to prove that you can get 20 goals a season from from the wide positions. Well, that's but that is slightly the prop. Sorry to interject. Mm. I mean, like he, we we never apologise as long as you're going to say something <laughs> new or funny. By all means, jump in. If it's just going to be the same old nonsense, back off, fella. I, I should probably back <laughs> off then. No, um, don't say your piece. <laughs> no, I, that is something we talked about before, though. Is that Delhi is quite unusual in that he's for a goal scoring attacker. He's not. He's not. A, he's not either a striker or a wide forward. Because almost all of these guys who do score goals from those sort of positions can play as wide forwards, which is how every team plays, like you say, Salah, Son. And you do wonder if he needs to adapt to be able to play that role. And I don't know if any thought's been been given to that as to whether playing as, you know, in an inside right or inside left sort of position would, would be better for him vis-a-vis goal scoring. Let me ask you, put your, uh, put your, uh, your mind um, towards the end of this season. Is Deli Ali going to be a permanent member of Spurs' first team. Can he recover his standing as a footballer, if not his uh, England place and the kind of returns that we were getting from him three and four years ago? I think he will still be in the team just because I think he tick- I think he ticks the boxes of what Nuno wants from midfielder. As much as some of us might rather it was Lo Celso or Ndombele trying to create chances, I think that given given what Nuno wants, I think that Delhi will will stay in there. I don't think there's a better. I don't think there are many better options for that kind of player. Yeah, you can't imagine there are going to be many games where Nuno thinks, "Do I want someone in midfield who has the legs to harass and harry opponents and get up and down the pitch?" There probably aren't going to be many where he doesn't want that, and so you would think he will I mean the problem is he might be slotted in here there and everywhere according to what's needed I mean I said in the piece and, and Jack's alluded to it as well it, he has he's been it's almost like you know he's sacrificing himself for the greater good of the team and that that's to be applauded yeah. but it wouldn't surprise me if it carries on on this current trajectory he gets a ton of minutes covers a lot of ground but doesn't score many goals or provide many assists okay well uh, all I'll say is you know people always talk about um, that overhead sort of mm. juggle and that volley against Crystal Palace, I think it was, and yeah. saying, where's that player gone? He's always going to have a place in my heart, actually, um, for that uh, for that moment in the Amsterdam arena because everyone remembers Lorente mm. taking the ball out of the sky, but it's Deli Alley who plays the most important mm. and exquisite four-foot pass uh, in Spurs' history into the path of Lucas Moura. Yeah. It could only go one place. Their defenders were coming in and he put it on the exact spot on the earth where Mora had to have it um, to have the first touch to get it past the goalkeeper. Um, I'll always, and that's what caused uh, me to burst into tears, of course, and the tears ran down my big old space up ahead. Um, but I, I actually I spoke to him for, about that right, for the piece good. we did, Jack and I did last last May on the anniversary of the Mora mm. hat-trick game. And because, yeah, we... Uh, 
like you, we, we talked a lot about that moment. So I did ask him about it and ask him sort of what he thought about it. What, I said, what's your memory of that? He said, not much. Everything I do is completely instinctive in football. I can just remember praying he would finish it. And sure enough, he did. There are lovely touches and there are lovely exquisite touches. That was a belter. It was, but I think that does that completely instinctive. I mean, it looked that way, didn't it? And that was kind of Delhi at his best, playing off the cuff on instinct, doing things that... I mean, so few other players would conceive of that flick and let alone be able to actually pull it off. Not a lot of off the cuff at Tottenham now. We're not, we don't have any cuffs. And you're right to say, <laughs> if you're right to say that if we, if, um, you know, they can, they fall further and further back soon, they'll be trying to change the rules. So like ice hockey, you can go behind the goal as well. And that would seem to suit the current batch of Spurs managers. Listen, you thought that was bleak. Um, talking about a player who was great and is no longer great. Wait till you hear the next section when we preview the game against Chelsea. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, everybody. You're listening to The View from the Lane, and we're really, really glad that those of you who download the podcast, listen to any or all of them, um, and tell your friends if you're enjoying them, tell your friends. I'm Danny Kelly. Alongside me, of course, are Charlie Eccleshare and Jack Pitbrook. I'll put it off for as long as I can. We have to face up to the fact that following what by most people's measurement was the worst Spurs performance for a couple of years, um, that whacking they got at Sellers Park, the gods of football, ever pixie-ish, have then thrown up uh, Spurs' next fixture to be against one of the best two-cut teams in the country. You could argue Chelsea are the best. They've got home advantage. Um, I, I I always hang on to that straw very, very strongly. Um, let me ask you, first of all, a question about the squad for this game. And this is, we should make the point, we're recording this before we see who Nuno puts out for the game in Wren. Should the South American players, released from the radiators from which they've been chained in Croatia, um, but touching down at Heathrow or in some private jet, actually probably at Luton, should they go into the squad? Should they indeed go into the team, Jack? Yeah, I am expecting the the Dubrovnik three to be involved on on Sunday uh, in some capacity. I think they should start, to be honest. You know, they're, they're not... Frankly, players start on... Players start Sunday afternoon games having arrived back from Latin America on the Saturday. These guys have just taken... It, I mean, it won't literally be an easy jet flight from... No. Uh, from, from Dubrovnik. But, you know, anyone who's been on holiday to that part of the world, no, it's, it's only, I don't know, two and a half hours or whatever. Yeah. So there shouldn't be an issue with jet lag or anything like that. And they've spent the last week I imagine probably having a nice not not just having a nice time on the beach they've done some football as well but they should be relaxed refreshed and also motivated to kind of pay Spurs back a bit I think I'm, I'm, I'm kind of mixed feelings about this having initially been very sympathetic to the players having watched how awful Spurs were against Palace I thought they probably should have been there shouldn't they it, it did exactly the same thing went on in my head I've, initially I was saying look at those lovely patriots and now I think, look at those traitors <laughs> to the club. <laughs> Never mind. Uh, the th- you think you think you think they'll play, Charlie? 
Yeah, I do. I mean, is your question, do, do you think they shouldn't play as a sort of punitive measure? No, it's a question of... Do you Just think, a fitness. Uh, more likely... Well, Nuno in particular is one of these who are forever going on about practicing tactics on the ground and all the rest of it. They haven't been... I mean, let's be honest. Look, the background to this, of course, is that footballers' training has changed completely during COVID. Their training and travel has all been um, messed about with. And so... I think the days mm. when they had to have four days clear to do the training and the warm down and then a day in front of a blackboard to do the tactical thing, that may have been changed a lot in the last 18 months. And I wonder whether that's, a, that's the excuse you'd use to get them back in the team. Yeah, that is, that's a good point because speaking to former colleagues of his at Wolves for a big piece on him I did, they said that he, he wouldn't play a player unless they'd trained pretty much during the week and actually what he'd often do even players who weren't fully fit he'd still involve them in training he'd just ask his um you know the experts on the medical side of things to say well what can they do to be involved that won't exacerbate any injuries that's how important it was to him to have everyone there so it will be quite interesting and revealing if um he does play them you know given that they won't have been able to be involved in any meaningful sense um and how kind of you know, confident that they can get what they needed to whilst they were away. But I, but I definitely think. I mean, look, certainly someone like Romero, you would think it would it would seem strange to spend that much money on him. He's clearly something I think will make a huge difference, and then not play him. So I'd expect him to come back in. Sanchez and Lacelso. I mean, who knows? But Lacelso. They they have missed that kind of player. I think you know they they could really do with him in midfield. Well, I mean, let, let's let's say for the sake of argument that they, that they they are all back in good odor. You say Romero starts. Who would start next to him if they play a back four? And I have a reason for saying that so portentously. Do we know if Dyer's going to be fit? He should be. I mean, it's not been confirmed, but sounds reasonably positive on that one. So he could well be available. Yeah. What about I mean, Sanchez and Romero? Given they spent the last 10 days together, they're probably Spurs, assuming that Dyer's not 100% fit, Sanchez and Romero must be Spurs' two best available centre-backs. You might as well have both of them as have one of them. Also, Romero only, as far as I'm aware, Romero doesn't speak any English, so you might be better, it might be safer having Romero alongside Sanchez rather than Romero alongside Rode. And that said, Dyer famously does speak very good Spanish. And is one that's one of the reasons why Dyer's a kind of dressing room glue. So not not that this matters too much, but given that I've started this bit, uh, if linguistics are the to be the defining factor, then you would have to partner Romero with Dyer or Sanchez, <laughs> but maybe not Roden or Davis. Or Ro- Roden and Davis, and they could speak in Welsh Davis. to one another. And and outfox Lukaku, who'd Lukaku, just be so no baffled. Idea, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna throw this into it. We've got to work out how we're going to how Spurs are going to beat Chelsea. What about matching up to them? Having got injured and suspended centre-halves and centre-halves who spent the last three weeks in South American Dubrovnik, what about playing three at the back, Jack, and going and matching Chelsea exactly? Do Spurs have three fit, settled, stable centre-backs? I'm not sure they do. Well, the two South Americans and Dyer? Yeah, maybe. I just don't see why... I don't know. To me, that feels like too much of a risk. You're playing too many players over whom there are question marks and maybe not enough other players. And then, of course, it is a system that worked well for Nuno... At Wolves. We know what the solution is there, Jack. And it's Ben Davis. Ben Davis, the left centre-back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is the panacea. Never really worked for Tottenham. It's, it's one of those things that people always go yeah. on about because it, it worked well at Euro 2016, which was five years ago. It was quite a long time ago. It was literally before the Brexit referendum that Ben Davis was very good at left centre-back. Some was people, after, no, some people, was after the Brexit referendum because it happened... It, the Brexit referendum was two days before the Northern Ireland game, so <laughs> technically it has worked post-Brexit in a post-Brexit world. Yeah, I should have remembered that. I was there. I do think three-five-two, though. I mean, we've talked about this before, and in our 
mine and Jack's controversial uh, ideal Spurs 11s, I'd I push for a three at the back. Yeah. Um, yeah and I absolutely have... screamed that for those <laughs> yeah. five Spurs yeah. fans. So to which Spurs fans say, I hold my hand up, it was really bad. You were right. Requilon is better than Ben Davis. That was a huge call from you, Jack. I mean, I had Davis in the team, but I did also have Regulon. But the timing of it wasn't great because we both did it two days before the Palace game where Davis gave away the penalty and didn't have his best day. If my brilliant plan to play three at the back is not going to work against Chelsea, what is, Charlie? <laughs> I mean, I'm not ruling it out. I think there's a lot of merits to it. Thank you. I mean, <laughs> the thing is, well, well, the blueprint has got to be the City game, hasn't it, on the, on the opening yeah. weekend? Because that was... That was pretty much perfect. They uh, and and that's not rewriting history. No, no. I mean, they that's not just the result. It wasn't one where they got absolutely battered and pinched it. They got battered for the first ten minutes, granted, but after that they had a genuine threat. City didn't really create a lot. It was pretty much the dream counter-attacking performance against a superior opposition. And Chelsea, you know, I think. Spurs fans would admit are that you know they're the European champions they've strengthened with Lukaku they're a formidable outfit but that was Tottenham's best performance of the season and I do wonder if like Wolves who if we remember specialised at beating big six clubs in inverted commas including often away from home Mm -hmm. uh, including Spurs two years running I I do wonder if and James mentioned this on Monday's pod whether it will it could and and again clutching at straws I know could suit them playing a team will come at them so I imagine he'll try and set up very very similarly to um, to how he did in that game which was the Delhi skip Hoybier midfield axis and then Son assuming he's back on that day it was Bergwijn and Mora obviously now you've got Kanan and then one of Bergwijn and Mora Would you drop Kane so that you could get re- recreate that balance against City? No I suppose two best players in that game were Bergwijn and Lucas Mora yeah, and like that, they, Bergwijn was incredible on the break, and City couldn't really live with Bergwijn at all. And like, I actually think Chelsea are probably better now against the counter attack than City are. But it probably is the the best way to get at Chelsea. You'd imagine would be Bergwijn breaking down the middle like he did against City. So I hope for that for that reason alone that Bergwijn plays on Sunday. I think he will, but I think it'll be I think it'll be Mora who makes way with Son probably playing more in a role. You're, you're confident Son will be fit, yeah. Mm, I wouldn't say. I, I think he will. I think. Yeah. I think uh, from what I'm hearing, I think he will play. But who knows? I mean, it's three days away. Because that that's the that, that Wolves team, the transitions they did to beat teams as you're describing, who were pressing them really hard and forcing them back, was the long passing of Ruben Neves and the pace of Adama Traore. They allowed them mm. to get from one end to the to the pitch to the other in two touches of the ball. It won't work unless some combination of Mora, Bergwijn and Son have got to have brilliant game on the break. Otherwise, um, we'll keep running up against Jorginho and, and his little gang in the middle of the pitch there. That Wolves comparison is something that slightly frustrates me about Nuno Spurs. Is that Wolves did have, you know, they weren't great to watch. They did have a lot of quality in midfield in Neves and Moutinho. You know, Neves is a good player. Moutinho has been a great player for, feels like, about 25 years now. And yet at Tottenham, he has some quite technically good midfielders, but he doesn't really seem interested in using them. Well, they're not, they don't seem to want to pass the ball forward more than 10 yards, yeah. um, which is, of course, one of the reasons why Kane keeps turning up. Um, as a sort of number 10, doesn't he? Um, leaving a sort of massive uh, vacuum, like one of those things they photograph with a, with a newly refurbished Sp- Hubble Space Telescope because uh, there's nobody <laughs> the other side of him in the team. But actually, that's something that Son, Bergvine, Moore, whatever combination they play, 
um, must learn to do. If Kane is going to continue, and he's a very good link player, if he's going to continue to do that, somebody has got to get not just next to him to receive the ball, but beyond him to receive yeah. the, the final ball. Um, and at the moment, it is the caution of Nuno that I think is perhaps, whether or not it's really what they think he wants, somehow the players look a bit constricted uh, to me. But that aspect of the game has worked less well under Nuno. I mean, it's been incredibly early days, but less well under Nuno than it did under under Mourinho. Mm. You know, whatever you might think about Mourinho, Spurs had a really good plan for scoring goals under Mourinho, which is that Son would run beyond Kane and Kane would play the pass through. And they this year Spurs don't even Spurs haven't even managed to do that yet. And of course, you know Kane's kind of Kane's had his own problems, and Son's just got injured, so they haven't had that many opportunities. But if Spurs lose that link up, then they're really going to struggle to score goals this season. Well, that and that is the problem with not having a third goal scorer. I mean, there are many issues with not having a third goal scorer, but it gets laid bare when one of those two is out. It's, you know, especially we saw Son, they were without Son on the weekend. Who's you know, and then Kane. It's, you know, he's less effective. He's slightly less sure of whether he wants to be playing as a 10 or as a 9. And it all falls apart. Like, it feels like it's very shaky foundations. If one, you know, if one, if those two stay fit, they'll have a reasonable season, whatever happens. But if one of them is out for any length of time, then you, you would worry for this team. I have to say, I'm, uh, I hope people have downloaded this podcast correctly and on a good uh, internet connection so that it's not flickering and missing individual words because you might if you were listening to this conversation for the last five minutes think that we were advocating three at the back including Eric Dyer or Ben Davis and dropping Kane for this game so I, I hope you've heard every single <laughs> word because otherwise it's going to sound very strange indeed so that's the, that's the plan is it we play that Spurs play deep with their triple deep block in midfield and the creativity issue is solved by somebody very fast running with the ball yeah that's part of the problem with the Liverpool comparison is that, you know, obviously Liverpool don't need to create chances through midfield because they've got Robertson and Alexander-Arnold who are you know, two of the best full-backs in the Premier League. And Alexander-Arnold is like a unique player, the like of which we've not really seen before. Whereas it's for Tottenham, you know, Reguilon is good at some things, but it's pretty patchy. And Emerson Royale, the guy's only just showed up, so it's far too early to, to judge him. But if Spurs are going to create chances only through the full-backs this season, then the fullbacks are going to have to start playing really, really well, basically. And that's a lot of pressure. Like you say, we don't know what Emerson's going to do. Sergio Reguilon, I like him because uh, he's all running and, and, and appears to enjoy playing the football. Uh, yeah. his, his final ball, how can I suppose patchy would be a, a, a very apt word. Um, unpredictable. I, I think you're a bit harsh on Reguilon. I, I was listening on Monday, your description of him in the Palace game. I thought he was actually quite good. And I thought he defended a lot better than he often has. I thought he... There was that one in the first half where Gallagher thinks he has a tap-in from a few yards out. And Reguilon covers all the way from his own station on the left into more of that right-sided central channel and makes a really good block. And there was that one under the bar as well that he got rid of. I, I, I think he started the season quite strongly. Um, but I know, I know he divides opinion shall we say no no I, I say I really like him um, I just want his passing and I'm not but hang on beep beep this is me backing out my previous opinion under pressure <laughs> from your current one beep 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 no I, I think I really like him and I think he can be a, a very very good Premier League player his passing down the line is okay his crossing has yet to be uh, up to the standard but of course crosses are often judged by whether or not somebody gets on the end of them. But this season so far, we've only had one person in the penalty box. Um, so the crosses are made to look a little bit worse than they are, perhaps. To that point, I screenshotted in the Delhi piece, there was an instance late on the game, Spurs are 2-0 down. 
Regulon gets the ball out wide on the left, and and Delhi, rather than kind of running into the box as you'd expect him to, drops short for a sort of its square pass, and so Reg- Regulon puts a cross in. Kane is belatedly getting into the box, and it's clear, you know, he's got like one, maybe two targets and about five defenders. So I, th- I think, as you said, it's it's a combination of the two. I mean, there was that one against West Ham in the game that obviously now gets remembered for Spurs conceding three goals in the last 10 minutes but in the first half Regulon puts in a beauty of a cross for I think it's Harry Kane um, so he has that ability but you just want to see it a bit more often Ah those happy days when West Ham were useless enough that Lanzini could still get in the team <laughs> No, we're near it at the moment is he? Listen thank you very much indeed for the um, at least attempting to work out how Spurs might take on Chelsea because that's the beauty of football isn't it? Even after that rotten performance at Palace they've got to play the next game you can't just lie down in a darkened room for a month trying to sort things out which actually one of the things I wasn't happy with this week is I know maybe it's best not to say anything to the press but I'm sure you don't agree with that but given what you try to do for a living Nuno's mm. yeah, interviews cheers, during the week where what is the solution not to the, to the defensive problems but to the creative problems is to quote do more hard work on the training ground I hate that that construction because um, that's what you should be doing anyway, obviously, and it's got to work. And I felt, you know, there's a, a Spurs connection today that kind of broke my heart. Chris Hutton, wonderful footballer, mm. a bit before your lot's time, but a wonderful footballer and a lovely man. I mean, a decent coach too. After the latest calamity with Nottingham Forest was saying, we've got to get out on that training field, we've got to work harder. That is literally the signal for the board to sack you because you ought to be, <laughs> that's the basics, isn't it? Yeah, but no manager will say, I'm going to go away and think whether my methods actually work. Like, I'm going to go away and think, are my ideas up to date? Because maybe they're not. I think managers have to, managers have to create, and I don't mean to single Nuno or Hutton or anyone else out for this, but managers always create a real kind of cult of personality around themselves in which they assume that they have all the answers and that the only problem is the interpretation. No, sorry, it's the execution rather than, than, than mm. their intentions and theories themselves. So I think that's why managers will all, you know, if you say we've got to work hard on the training ground, you, you can kind of effectively blame the players without blaming the players. And that's because most managers, 95% of them, misunderstand the nature of what they're doing. They think it's science, and the best managers know that it's alchemy. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham, all new, Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
you can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Okay, into the home straight now, into added on time, if you like, in the view from the lane with Charlie Eckershare, Jack Pitbrook, and myself, Danny Kelly. As I say, we're doing this in the hours before Spurs take to the field against Wren, and you'll be listening to it largely um, after the result is known. We, we talked quite a lot at the end of the season about is this a competition Spurs want to be in. Now we're here, and this game falls sandwiched in between a you know very dis- disappointing loss and Chelsea. What's your view? Are you thinking, great, it's European football, it's a bit of fun, we get to watch a game tonight, or are you thinking, mm, I'd rather they just had a week off to prepare for the Chelsea game? Uh, for me, the, the I'd rather they just had a week off view is too modern for me. If you're in these tournaments, you try and win them. You can't have it both ways. You can't say... But isn't there a tension of modern modernity there? Because this is also a nonsense modern competition that you never would have had you can't, but, 20 but, but, years but, but, ago. There's a kind of uh, having it both ways, isn't there? Spurs have to win a trophy. They try to win trophies, then you get told they're the wrong trophies. Um, so what it is, is people setting up a narrative of failure because it's easier to write about, it's easier to broadcast about, it's easier to talk about work. Um, oh, they tried to do this and they failed. Um, I think that this is a perfect opportunity to go deep into a European tournament. And I'm telling you now, Spurs won the Cup Winners' Cup Back in the early 60s. But that was a proper competition. But the UEFA Cup wasn't a proper competition when it started out. And people don't look at it like that historically now. They say that's the first English club to win a European trophy and all the rest of it. I think, um, of course, it's ludicrous that they, that Spurs, in their own minds, um, are parading. It's like they're wearing some, some of those costumes that people wore to the Met Ball. Um, to the local pub because it's true <laughs> because they are Tottenham Hotspur and some of these clubs are as yet unheard of but you're in the tournament try and win it um, now that doesn't mean you have to play the goal the first team this week because you're in the group stages it's when you get into the into the knockout stages that I don't want to see taking a chance because let's be honest let's go back to Colchester in the League Cup or whatever it's parading as he says the Carabao Cup Um Spurs putting out their second team so far has been disastrous in recent times. What about you? You're a neutral. You want Spurs to try and win this trophy? My impression of this is that doing well in the Conference League matters more to the club than it does to Nuno. I think Nuno might rather focus on the Premier League form over the course of the season. But, you know, there are obvious benefits to the club of them being in Europe through the course of the year. And it might well be that we'll get to the second half of the season and it will suddenly get really engaging. I mean, I do think that these things do attract prestige over time. Like I'm sure in 1956, people would have said that the Eurovision Song Contest was very silly, but now it's obviously a hugely prestigious award, Danny, as I'm sure you agree. For, for all uh, aspiring musicians. But I get. But I should say as well, Danny, I'm not, I'm not saying now they're in the competition, should they sack no. it off? It's more, would you be better just... Because that, that... But you touched on something. The reality is, if you're in a competition, the frustrating thing is, a big story and song and dance would be made of Spurs crashing out of the Europa Conference League. So, yeah, once you're in it, you have to make something of it. It's more... Would you rather just be spared being in it and they therefore you don't have to have any of that nonsense and you can just focus on the league, which ultimately is where Nuno's going to be judged by. It's it is the important thing. I don't I don't know how and I'm not I'm not saying, you know, I'm I'm putting forward the argument. Yeah. I'm not saying 
it's worthless. But I, I wonder as well, hypothetically, if, if Spurs were to win this competition at the end of the season, what that does for, you know, the trophy drought in inverted commas and kind of ha- how the club but feels about it. Spurs have quite a big squad at the moment, don't they? They probably have a bigger squad than they should, than yeah. Nuno would normally yeah. have. So I think it's, my guess is it's less costly to Tottenham to, you know, plonk a few eggs in this Europa Conference League basket than it would be if they had a squad of 16, 17 players, given simply that you know there's a handful of guys who they tried and failed to get rid of over the summer who might as well play some football. And given that the whole squad, I think, needs to kind of get up to speed with what we're calling Nuno Ball, I think it does sort of make... I can kind of see the benefits of being in it, even if it does feel a bit ridiculous at this point to be slogging around. I mean, frankly, Ren and Vitazana are the least of their worries, but by the second half of the season, it might get a bit tiring. I think that's true. The other benefit is you can play some young players potentially and maybe Scarlett gets some experience. I guess on a micro level where it's challenging is that if they weren't in this competition, from Monday it's right, Chelsea. Everything is about that Chelsea game. And Nuno prides himself as a coach and repetition. Like you said, how do you improve creativity? On the training pitch. You know, he would back himself with that week, whereas Chelsea don't get that week. Whereas no matter how seriously you're taking Ren and, you know, but you, you have to take it seriously and, and all your coaches are working on opposition scouting, etc., etc. That leaves you with not a huge amount of time to face the European champions. You're then at a slight disadvantage because they've had, when did they play? Tuesday night? So they've got two days extra to prepare for. That's quite a big swing, potentially. And I, you know maybe it won't make a difference, but it's, it's a challenge. Thank you very much indeed. And I must tell you this, of course, Charlie's article on Delhi is very much there on The Athletic. And if you're not already a subscriber, you can read it and Jack's piece following the Wren game by going to theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod. And right now you can sign up with a 33% discount on a full subscription. We'll be back on Monday when Spurs will have beaten Chelsea. Thank you for listening. The Athletic.